A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. You are still listening to The Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. We are now in overtime. Like I said, we have got some great stuff for you. You're going to be talking to Ed Flash Ferentz. The United States only day, daily labor radio host. 30 years. Really excited to talk to him. I always love talking to him. He's a good guy. Um, also, uh, let's go ahead and, and we're, we're going to jump right to uh, this UAW stuff. Oh, we do have I a caller. We've got a caller. Line. I saw that. Okay. Uh, but I need, we need to... <laughs> I want to get. I want to make sure that I get to this UAW stuff because this is You're some big good. stuff. So I I apologize, caller. We're gonna have to wait until you might want to call back in about forty five minutes or so. We'll uh we'll take calls after Flash. Um, <clears throat> so UAW. Uh, like I said, folks. I mean, just a huge announcement from the UAW yesterday on the negotiations with the big three. Probably. I mean, genuinely, probably the most consequential announcement, the most consequential win uh, that they've announced so far. And it's a win that was announced despite the fact that not only were the companies saying that this isn't going to happen, you know, they were talking about that uh, on the COLA. They said, COLA, we're never bringing it back. You gave it up, and we're never going to give it back to you. COLA, remember, cost of living adjustment, it is, uh, it, the, what that does is it basically adjusts your wage for inflation year over year. That way, uh, automatically, that way, the workers are not the only people who take the, uh, uh, who, who, who bear the risk of inflation, right? The bosses have to bear some of that, some of that risk with us under a COLA. And so they were able to win that and not even just win a like uh, an, um, an emergency cola formula that'll kick in, you know, if there's 10 percent inflation or whatever. They were able to win back at Ford the 2009 cola that they gave up to save the companies from bankruptcy. That is huge, huge news. And the news that they released yesterday is I think even bigger than that, and not only were the companies saying that uh, uh, that you're never going to get this just on principle, like, you know, th this is not on the table, they were saying that it was not legally possible for them to give the UAW this win, and yet they did it. Let's listen to this announcement from Sean Fain from his live stream yesterday. Good afternoon, UAW family. It's happened again. Moments before this broadcast, we have had a major breakthrough that has not only dramatically changed negotiations, but it's going to change the future of our union and the future of our industry. 
We were about to shut down GM's largest moneymaker in Arlington, Texas. The company knew those members were ready to walk immediately. And just that threat has provided a transformative win. GM has now agreed in writing to place their electric battery manufacturing under our national master agreement. We've been told for months that this is impossible. We've been told the EV future must be a race to the bottom. And now we've called their bluff. What this will mean for our membership cannot be understated. The plan was to draw down engine and transmission plants and permanently re replace them with low-wage battery jobs. We had a different plan, and our plan is winning at GM. Look, devil's in the details, and we're going to see what happens. We're going to see, you know, what they're able to get because just, um, you know, just like the, uh, uh, um, you know, the parts distribution centers, for a long time, they were on a second tier of employment, even though they were under the national agreement, right? So the assembly plant workers would be making like $30, $35 an hour, while the parts distribution workers were making $20 an hour, okay? So just because they are under the national master agreement does not in and of itself guarantee them all the same wages as the assembly plant workers, but... What it does is it brings it, it brings them and everything in their regarding their employment into the negotiations and onto the table. And that in and of in and of itself is huge because and the reason that they were saying legally that they can't do this, it's not legally possible. It would be illegal for me to put this stuff on the table, is because all of these battery plants are joint ventures. Uh, or many of them are. Not all of them, but many of them are. A joint venture, meaning it is partially owned by GM and partially owned by another company, typically like a foreign auto company or something. And so they're joint ventures. And so they say, look, oh, no, you know, it's not just us that own these. It's other people. And so because this is a whole different thing, you can't you can't bring this into the big three negotiations. It's a whole different can of worms, right? It's not the same. We can't put it on the table. And. GM just did. It's on the table, and now, obviously, the UAW is going to be pushing for the same standards at these battery plants that they've got at the other manufacturing plants, and that is going to be a fight in and of itself. But just having these battery plants on the table and being able to negotiate over what happens there is enormous. That is huge, and it is a big step towards actually being able to create a just transition towards electric car manufacturing, electric vehicle manufacturing, instead of, like Sean Fain said, having the electrical electric vehicle manufacturing only be a fig leaf for a race to the bottom. Because that's what it's been so far. That's what it's been so far. All of these big three automakers, the foreign automakers, they've been creating these uh, uh, battery manufacturing plants, sometimes in the South, but also in the Midwest and in other places, um, and paying these people pitifully $16 an hour, no pension, bad health care, dangerous working conditions, much more dangerous than a union plant. 
terrible. I mean, a re- literally a race to the bottom is how the battery plants have been uh, uh, have been used. And so for them to have it on the table is an enormous, enormous thing. And so that happened at GM. Other gains, they were less specific about from Ford and Stellantis, but all of the gains from all of the companies uh, uh, considered, the UAW decided to this week spare all of the big three from any strike expansions to reward them for the behavior at the bargaining table. And so that is... uh, um, You know, that's a really, uh, you know, I mean, just huge, huge needs. And so with GM agreeing to this, it is no doubt going to be, um, there is no doubt going to be the, uh, the, the, uh, Stellantis and Ford are going to have to fall in line, right? Because GM now is going to be, you know, they're going to be wanting Ford and Stellantis, to fall in line on this on this battery plant issue, uh, because if they don't, then you know Ford and Stellantis are going to be un- uh, going to be able to undercut them uh, in you know as far as labor costs. Which let's remember, labor costs actually not that big a part of the vehicle. Five percent actually of vehicles produced in North America, five uh, percent of the cost that you pay at the lot is to wages, is to compensation for labor. So. Not really a whole lot, and that's a big reason why, despite the fact that, you know, uh, all of these uh, vehicles that you purchased that were manufactured in Mexico or wherever the hell for, you know, 12 or 30 bucks a day instead of an hour, if you're able to save that much on labor, why is the car not so much cheaper? You pay the same for the car. There are even, like, models of vehicle that are, it's the same model and they've got multiple manufacturing plants. And so it's like uh, the model is produced in America and also in Mexico. The Mexican produced cars are not any cheaper. They're not any cheaper for one, because labor costs actually not that much, not that much of the car is, uh, uh, you know, not much of the cost that you pay at the dealership goes towards labor, but also because they just want to steal all the money that would be going to workers and put it in them in their pockets, in the pockets of their shareholders. Remember, Sean Fain told us that shareholders, more money went to shareholders through dividend payments than to labor over the course of the last contract since 2019, over the last four years. That's insane. CEOs at these big three companies, GM, Stellantis, and Ford, are making between 260 and 400 times the median employee absolutely unacceptable and so yeah i mean just i almost almost fell out of my chair when i heard that huge news and also incredible drip from sean fain for those that are only listening <laughs> the uh, drip watch is the, active, yeah the and... drip watch that's going to be uh, another new segment uh <laughs> drip watch where we talk about uh uh labor leaders uh and and uh how good their drip is and sean fain's drip was good uh for those of you who are just listening he's wearing a t-shirt that says eat the rich um so that's awesome very cool there's an nbc reporter that was tone policing him on Twitter saying that, oh, this is inappropriate. People's, you know, livelihoods are at stake, blah, blah, blah. You know, memes are bad. And, uh, you know, whatever bootlicker is kind memes of my scary. Yeah, memes are scary. Yeah, memes are scary. Oh, no. I'm, I'm going to, you know, tweet more about how the memes hurt my feeling 
than about how, uh, you know, workers are literally being killed in these battery plants uh, by the big three automakers. Absolutely insane and terrible. And, you know, that that's kind of the state of play for, you know, mainstream journalists uh, supposed to be speaking truth to power, but they are instead tone policing workers and their leaders. Um, so, yeah, really exciting news. And as always, great speech from Sean Fain. This is how he closed it out. And I'll tell it to you straight. The billionaires and company executives think us auto workers are just dumb. They think we don't get it. They think we only understand the power of a supervisor yelling at us or an assembly line coming at us. They look at me and they see some redneck from Indiana. They look at you and see somebody they would never have over for dinner or let ride on their yacht or fly on their private jet. They think they know us, but us auto workers know better. We may be foul-mouthed, but we're strategic. We may get fired up, but we're disciplined. And we may get rowdy, but we're organized. Not everything is about pulling out the bazooka. We've been very careful about how we escalate this strike, and we have designed this strategy to increase pressure on the companies not to hurt them for its own sake, but to move them, to get them to say yes when they want to say no. And today is a perfect example of that. Really great stuff. Really great stuff from Sean Fain, um, my president. Yeah. So there we go. That's the update on the UAW. We're going to talk some more about that here in just a minute. But we have Ed Flash Ferrets on the line now. He is the host of America's Workforce, the country's longest running union radio program and the only daily union radio program. Been doing it for about 30 years. Flash, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. It's always good to talk to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for being a guest on our show. Uh, so many times you're, you're always there when, uh, when the moment arises, but um, I haven't been there since the beginning. I just want to clarify that. I started 25 years ago. The show started in 1993, so we're in our 30th year, and I started in 1998, so 25 years for me. Mm. Three years podcasting in June. Started podcasting right when the pandemic pretty much started in June of 2020. And the good news is, um, I want to tell you about maybe about eight months ago, we were in the top 15% of all podcasts. And you have to understand there's 2 million podcasts yeah, right, going yeah. on right now. And um, just about three, four weeks ago, we're in the top 1%. So it's really been exploding. And we're not on every day. We're on every weekday, Monday through Friday, right, yeah. just to be clear. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a great show. I love doing it. I got a strong labor history in my family. My dad was a steel worker. And I might have told you this the last time I was on the show. Um, I worked uh, two summers in a steel mill with my dad. This was mm. U.S. Steel, the old Cuyahoga Works, which has mm. you know, been mothballed like so many steel mills today. But um, I worked there. And the second summer, I told my uh, I told my dad and I told the co-workers, man, dad, I don't know how you did this for 42 years. Yeah. I said, I'm going into radio. And a couple of the guys laughed at me. <laughs> and the next year, <laughs> hey, there it was. I got, I got in at two bucks an hour at an AM station. I went across the hall, the FM station and the rest is history. 
There you go. So yeah, it was a fun uh, time. Fun time. Yeah, on top of now uh, 25 years doing a union radio program, uh, Flash was a big Ohio celebrity uh, back in the 80s, right? Uh, you were doing um, just regular, like, rock, rock talk radio. Yeah. Well, it was it was uh, pretty much rock and roll. Um, it was WMMS, the home of the buzzard. The buzzard came to light in 1974. And the buzzards return to Hinkley every year. I don't know if that's big news down there, but like March 15th, they return to Hinkley. And at that time, Northeastern Ohio was going through a, a big change. We lost a lot of factories. They were closing. A uh, lot of uh, companies were just moving south or closing up altogether. And Cleveland was pretty much, they called it the mistake on the lake. Mm. And it was a dying city. So we were thinking, well, what would be the bird that would fly over? A dead city. It has to be a buzzard. There you go. <laughs> so, so it became the mascot, and it changed over the years. But what made the station so popular is while well, we were just in tune with the city, mm-hmm. when the factories closed, rock and roll became the industry, and we were on the cutting edge of a lot of new music. David Bowie broke out of Cleveland. Um, mm-hmm. Rush broke out of Cleveland. A lot of big, big acts broke out of Cleveland, and I think it's just the. The roots, the roots of rock and roll were here, and that's why we have the Rock Hall of yeah. Fame in uh, in Cleveland. And they're adding on to that, too. By the way, that's a union-built facility. Very it, cool. It, uh, it opened in 1995. They're adding another 50,000 feet to that, and that's going to be all union as well. So it's, it's, it's a good union city in northeastern Ohio, yeah. no doubt about that. And you, you know what um, building I just learned from Twitter – that was union made. Have you seen the videos of the sphere in Las Vegas? Oh, one of my kids is there right now. Yeah. Really? My my stepson. Yeah. My stepson, he left Thursday morning Uh and uh, he called me. He called me yesterday. This is funny because (laughs) he pretty much lost his voice. I said, John, are you all right? He says, I was singing every song because <laughs> he's a, next to Pearl Jam, next uh-huh. to Pearl. He's gone to 39 Pearl Jam shows. And and let me say, he's raised in rock and roll. When I was mm-hmm. working at MMS, right. he was one of our interns there. So he grew up in the concert business. He went to all the shows. So And he's just carrying that tradition on, even with his kids, my grandkids. And uh, one of my grandkids went with him um, Thursday night as well. But I talked to him on uh, on on a Friday morning, yesterday morning, and he didn't have a voice left because mm. he was so. He says there's nothing like it, absolutely nothing yeah. like it. And he yeah, says, well, God, it would be great. He's thinking of if Pink Floyd mm. would be uh, would be touring today. That would be the place for them. So oh, absolutely, yeah. I definitely, it's definitely on my list. If you haven't seen it, I mean, you got to go look at some of the videos. It's really crazy, and it, it is a uh, union made. The production is done yeah. by the Stagehands Union there, and uh, the architectural stuff was done by the Sheet Metal um, uh, Smart Sheet Metal Union. So, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, pretty- yeah. one hundred and sixty thousand speakers, it's and wild. and they're in the seats. They're in the seats. Wow, can you believe that? And like two million LED lights, and it's funny if you if you look at some of the like close up stuff, it, it, you know if you look far away, it's really amazing at kind of the fidelity and how high definition it is. But if you get you know close to it, where you're like you can touch it, you can see that the LED lights are, are like they're like this big, and they're just like a, wow. like a uh, like a floodlight. 
kind of thing. But if you get far enough away, it looks like it's a TV. It's it's yeah, uh, it's just a, a marvel of engineering. Uh, yeah. Really, really. I cool. got to get it on my bucket list. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. But let's let's talk about America's workforce. You you said that you know you've been uh, you you've you've broken into the top one percent of podcasts. Um, what are uh, uh, what are some of the stuff? Uh, some of the folks that you've been talking to. Uh, some of the stories that you've been covering over the last uh, last few weeks. Well, just like you, we've been hitting on the UAW almost daily, and mm. uh, we had a couple of good interviews with uh, with folks, uh, scholars. There was a guy I suggest you might uh, check him out, Dan Graff, and he's mm. with the Higgins Labor Program at Notre Dame. And what he said right away, and I, I know you're reflecting on the same thing that I am. It's the militancy mm-hmm. of the new union leaders like Sean O'Brien with the Teamsters and obviously Sean Fain with the UAW. And uh, he pointed out that he feels that he is channeling Walter Ruther. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Walter Ruther, legendary auto leader back in the 30s. I mean, he did the sit-down strikes back yep. against uh, GM. And, um, and he feels he's in the same vein as that. And I have to point out, too, John Nichols at The Nation magazine pointed out when Joe Biden, President Biden, went to the picket line a couple of mm-hmm. weeks ago, he uh, he went to the same area. He went to Ruther's local. Yep. So I think he's on the same vein because, you know, he's clearly the most union friendly president since FDR. And that mm-hmm. was FDR's time back in the 1930s. So we hit on hit on that. I have a a good show coming up on Monday, and all these are – it isn't posted yet, but I talked to another – she's a contributing writer for The Nation magazine. Her name is Sarah Lazar. She Ah. also writes for Workday Cleveland. Are Mm -hmm. you familiar with her? Yes, yes. She's been on the program a few times, and I actually – I have – she has been my editor when I've written for In These Times. She used to work at In These Times magazine, and so she's edited a few of my pieces. She's still she's still contributing to in these times. And she talked about the plight of the auto worker. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and you know what? In your show, America's Workforce, we try to talk about the worker point of view, which, as you know, is missing in mainstream media. So much missing. And I I say this on my show so many times, you know, when the Teamsters were talking about striking at UPS, Mm. what did they talk about in the mainstream media? Oh, you're not going to get your package delivered. Mm -hmm. There might be a strike. They're probably going to want a whole lot of money. I said, wait a minute, slow down here. Let's okay. talk about the demands. Let's talk about what's going on as a UPS worker. And Sarah does that so well in the article. She had one uh, individual she talked to. He's not even 40 years of old, he's 40 mm-hmm. years of age, and he can barely walk. And it's the repetitive, the, the musculoskeletal injuries and the fact that they used to have, and I didn't realize this until I talked to her, they had like an ergonomics official that, and this was GM. I don't know if all three of them had it, but they had somebody that would be in tune with what's going on on the assembly line so workers mm-hmm. can get some help. And it's not like these, as you as you know, these are things that, that happen over time. And they're working their butts off. In many cases, these auto workers are working six, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Yep. Imagine the toll on your body. Now that's that's right. what we have to talk about, and that's primarily why they want the thirty-two hour week, the mm-hmm. work week, because it, it's grueling. So I mean that it, we're we're focusing on that, and 
And I want to call attention to one of our sponsors on the show is the United Steelworkers. Our presenting sponsor is Labor's International, Terry O'Sullivan, who is now president emeritus. But we're still continuing with them. And we definitely have uh, we're tilted toward the building trades because the building Mm -hmm. trades clearly need a lot more trades members, brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters there because there's a lot of building going on. But the steelworkers, I come from that family. And we've, they've been true sponsors over the years. And sadly, they lost a great mm-hmm. leader here uh, in Tom Conway. We, uh, what we did last Tuesday, his service was Tuesday. And I took, well, our producers took, Kelsey, took a number of, uh, from the last three years, little snippets of what I spoke to Tom about labor history. He brought up the, in one of the shows, the Homestead Strike back in the 1890s. We talked about the Infrastructure Act and the fact that, hey, we need to get this was before it was even passed to make sure that it's all American and union made steel. You know, that's the important stuff on there. But we put that all together and packaged that in that show. So, we're you know, we have to be topical. Uh, we have to showcase the, the leaders like Tom Conway that made a difference. And he made a true difference. He was he uh, I read an op ed that I had. I was saving this. In fact. I was um, I was talking to Kelsey, Kelsey Coyne, our producer. I said, let's try to get Tom Conway on the show, because as you know, there's a lot of organizing going on. Sadly, the organizers, once they get the union formed, they're having a very difficult time getting the mm. first contract. Right. And Tom Conway wrote an op-ed piece on this, and it's probably on the Steelworkers website, because uh, he was one great negotiator, how important it is to be tough on that, on the management or the owner of the company to make sure you keep hammering that point home. We have to get this, we have to get this. And there's a couple choice words that, uh, Fred Redman was on the show yesterday from the AFL-CIO, mm-hmm. he worked with uh, Tom. And he said, yeah, there was a few choice words that Tom brought to the table to make sure he had to get it over the finish line. And he finally he finally got his way. And that was, that's how we remember Tom Conway. It's, it's important that that uh, especially the younger generation knows what the older generation brought Mm -hmm. to working families. It's so important. Absolutely. And did you see, and maybe, (laughs) well, we can, we can talk some about California here in a bit because there's a lot of mixed, (laughs) mixed news because some good news and some really bad news coming out of California. So I'll, I'll put a pin in that for a second, but you talked about UPS. Um, You are not, like very online. So you don't see like a lot of YouTube shows or, or, or stuff like that. Do you? Not too many. No. So there's this guy who's pr- pretty popular. I mean, much, much more popular than us on YouTube. Patrick bet David. Um, guy's got like millions of followers or whatever. He's a hundred multi hundred millionaire. Um, made his money in insurance. So you know that he's a very hard worker, right? You know, uh, super mm-hmm. legitimate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can I can I can I stop you right there? <laughs> sure. In, insurance. I I I tell you, everybody's got an insurance story. Okay, this is the only company on the planet that can take your money. Okay, uh-huh. and then when you have a claim, deny payment to you. Now, I don't know, man, that's a pretty good racket, in my opinion. They yeah. take your money and they raise their rates. 
Yep. And then when you have a medical claim or a car claim, oh, we can't cover that. I'm yep. sorry, we can't cover that. Okay, sorry. Continue. Yeah, no. So he's he's an insurance salesman. So, you know, super like above board, very ethical kind of guy, right? And now he does a podcast. He does a podcast. And he was covering the UPS stuff. And um, he was talking about how terrible it was that um, – UPS drivers are going to be making $170,000 a year. And now, you know, okay, let's, we can just set aside for the moment that $170,000 a year would be everything included, all benefits included, and including overtime by the end of the contract for UPS drivers at the top rate. So, you know, you've got all sorts of caveats. The majority of UPS workers are not drivers. They're warehouse workers. They have different rates of pay. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of drivers are not at the top rate. They're in their first, second, or third year. And, you know, you're not guaranteed overtime necessarily, all this kind of stuff. But, okay, theoretically, by 2028, if you work all this overtime, if you include your health care and your pension benefits and all of this, maybe you get $170,000, all told, maybe. That's what the media was saying. And so right. he was presenting it like that's what they were going to be making immediately and how terrible that was. And he said something about, maybe I should go work for UPS. And it's like, do it. Go. Like, what are you waiting on? Go work at UPS then. I don't know who's stopping yeah, you. Yeah. It's just, it's so it frustrating when people, especially when people like that, you know, talk, talking, uh, totally out of turn they don't know anything about what they're talking about and acting like it's so ridiculous that you know a worker would be well compensated for doing you know really difficult labor you know driving around in the hot sun delivering these huge packages i mean you know they deserve every bit and more of what they get and the idea that some guy worth 200 million dollars is going to be chastising them is just i don't know yeah crazy well, that's the wedge that the the super wealthy like to drive in between themselves and her, mm -hmm. and the rest of us. I mean, it's pretty right. typical. This came up. You remember the uh, bakers went on strike. Um, I think mm -hmm. it was with the uh, with the cereal companies, Kellogg's, a couple of years they, ago. They've been on strike at a few um, different places. They went on strike at Frito Lay. They went on strike at Kellogg's. And right yeah. now, actually, there are there are some bakery. Uh, you know, BCTGM. Uh, they've been on strike since June. About two hundred of them in Memphis at a soy protein production plant. So anyway, well, sorry, I, I remember when that when that came up. No, that's fine. Um, there was a, a there was some uh, pitch by management saying that they were making one hundred twenty five hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. Right. And again, they just throw that out of there. GM. Uh, well, with the auto getting back to the auto workers was it, I don't know if it was I think it was GM saying or Ford saying that if we paid the auto workers this, we'd go broke. Mm. I mean, come on. And, and, and look what they're making. Right. And, and they really screwed themselves up on that whole thing because they mm -hmm. gave themselves, what, 40 percent pay raises right. a little while ago. So, I mean, they and, and you notice it really hasn't come up that much that mm. uh, that people want to be auto workers all of a sudden, to your point, dealing right. with uh, with the guy that got the insurance business and all that. But no, but it's it's that wedge. I mean, they want to do that. They want to make it look like the unions. If we unions are driving up the wages, driving mm -hmm. up the benefits, and ultimately we're going to go broke. That's what's going to happen. So, 
that that you know what we're going to deal with that for a long time i yeah. just be ready for that yeah no yeah definitely i mean one of the stations that we're on is a conservative radio station i i, I think i've told you that before uh and you know so i hear that a lot on the station that we are on during the week um so we only have we only have so long to try to <laughs> try to push back against some of that but we do what we can um but yeah, I know, like you, I have really been enjoying seeing Sean Fain uh, um, and his, uh, I don't know if you're from, do you know what Drip is? I'm sorry, Drip? Yes, Drip. That's what no, we're doing the vocab test. Yeah, no, so that's what, that's what the kids today, that's what they call... Um, your threads, your yeah, yeah your, your threads, fit. your style, your clothes. Your clothes essentially. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So that's... Okay. It's drip, and so uh, Sean Fain had some drip on yesterday. I don't know if you had time to watch the uh, <laughs> watch his stream, but I enjoyed seeing that. <laughs> well, I, I saw the Eat the Rich shirt, yeah. so I mean that speaks for itself. So yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, and so the the other the, the other big strike in the news, the biggest strike in the news. You know, you've 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 got Kaiser in California, but bigger than that, in, in terms of number of people that are on strike, is SAG after. You've still got 160,000 workers that are on strike. The writers just ended their strike, and they won. You know, a lot of good stuff. Uh, I, I know that you've talked to people from the writers uh, from the writers union about you know during negotiations before the strike started, during the strike, and I'm sure you've talked to people since the strike was over, uh, and you know. People may not know, but you're a member of SAG-AFTRA. You were a member of AFTRA before it merged with SAG. The AFTRA st stands for American Federation of Television and Radio? Artists, yeah. TV radio artists, right. There you go. That, yeah. uh, so that as merger a SAG -AFTRA member, over yeah. a decade ago. Yes, yes. Over a decade ago, they merged. So as a SAG-AFTRA member, how 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 does all of these negotiations um how do they look to you? You know, I, I know that you're not involved in the negotiations per se. You know, you're not doing a lot of acting or, or you know, voice acting and stuff in, in the industry now. But I'm sure that you've got folks in, in the unions uh, still. And, and so how 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 does everything look like? Uh, how does it look like it's going to you? Well, let me just go back and go backtrack a little bit. I'll be a 50 year member, by the way, of uh, AFTRA. Wow. Because I, I joined, when I joined, uh, it was WHK, WMS, they were union stations. They were owned by uh, Mallwright Communications, and that union is long gone over there. They, they're they part of the iHeart media chain now. But, uh, um, right, yeah, it'll be 50 years next year. And over a, over a decade ago, they merged to with SAG. And it was kind of funny, too, because uh, when they merged with SAG, all of a sudden I started getting these uh, DVDs in the mail. And I was wondering what's going on over here, but you know, you heard of the SAG AFTRA awards, and uh, so we get to vote on those. So that's one of the benefits <laughs> of my union. I get to see a lot of the movies, uh, as, and these are many of them are Academy Award uh, movies. And now I don't things are going to be different this year. And I often joke that uh, now that I'm, you know, I'm in the same union now as George Clooney, although I'm uh, not making the same money, but I think I am now because. I'm not on strike and he is on strike. So there there's a little difference over there, but <laughs> I support what's going on right now. I've been reading a lot about it and hearing a lot about it. Bottom line is uh, the, the George Clooney's of the world, the Meryl Streep's of the world, they get all the attention. It's just like the baseball players mm. or football right. players. You think of there's a, there's a, there's a select few that make a whole lot of money and then there's everybody else. 
it, when it comes to SAG-AFTRA, there's 160,000 members. About 32,000 of them are extras. They're mm -hmm. background people. They ain't getting paid very much. Right. And these are the peoples, these are the folks that could see their jobs disappear because of artificial intelligence. Uh, there's a story that I picked up, and I talked about this on the show, about um, uh, how artificial intelligence is being used now. They would grab one of these actors or actresses, and they would have a van. They'd come on site, and they'd say, well, let's turn this way. Let's turn that way. Let's you know do all these different movements with your body, speak, you know, just talk, read this line, read that line, and you'd be in there for maybe a couple of hours, and you're done, and it's over. You get paid for that one session, and mm -hmm. that's it. They can use whatever they want for as long as they want it, and that's a big issue. And we're seeing that. Well, you know what's going on with robotics. I mean, pretty soon. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you won't even be served by a waiter or a waitress anymore. It'll be a robotic type of thing. The whole thing that scares me about the future, and I often say I'm glad I'm on the back nine sometimes because you're seeing automation in every different aspect of life. The longshoremen were ready to go on strike because they wanted to use robots to unload the ships off the coast of Los Angeles and Long Beach. They said, if you're going to bring them over there, we're walking out. I mean, we have to put our foot down on this kind of stuff. I get it. Things change. There's technology and all that. You got to find ways to embrace that and make sure that the jobs aren't are going to disappear. Um, right. Getting back to your comment, though, um, I totally support it. I think they're going to make some progress now. This is my gut telling me they finally got back to the bargaining table. The writers have settled. I think that the, I know they were ratifying that uh, contract this week that might that process might be over but it looks like they're finally going to settle that and sign off on the contract and the other i i feel that sag aftra members they're going to come to some agreement soon on that we'll see what happens um there's a lot of different contracts i'm not part of it but um, i think fran drescher is doing a great job mm -hmm. she's doing a great job again another militant type of labor leader, a right. new style labor leader. That's, you know, it's, this is the right place in the right time. If you want to be vocal about workers, now is the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, since, since I thought about it, I wasn't originally going to ask you about this, but um, it, it kind of came up or, or I thought about it during the conversation. Uh, everything that's going on in California there have, have you seen that they are, um, and, and this is one of the things that Gavin Newsom has done that, that is that is good. He signed into law a bill that would um, that that will mandate now uh, one week instruction in high school for um, workplace rights. So you know how to get in touch with the Department of Labor, how to form a union, how to file a complaint with OSHA, uh, you know stuff like that. A whole week on it. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I, I appreciate that. That's great. Because he's he's done some things that kind of raised a few eyebrows. Yes, you know about <laughs> the unemployment benefits for the strikers. Now mm -hmm. you know they have they have those benefits in New York. I don't know if you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. So the, right. the the SAG members, SAG after members in New York are getting unemployment benefits, mm. but not in California. But apparently their uh, unemployment compensation fund is like almost twenty billion dollars in the red. So right. that's kind of why he didn't go that route. But no, I like that. That's a great idea. Something we probably won't see in Florida, right? 
Yeah, probably not in Florida, probably not in Alabama. Although our labor council, if we have anything to say about it, we're going to try to get in there anyway with our own local school boards. Um, and Adam, Adam had talked to you about some some lectures that he gave to some schools uh, about you know labor history and stuff like that. So we're hoping to uh, we're we're wanting to expand on that program uh, and formalize it with some local schools here soon. But like you said, Gavin Newsom vetoed uh, unemployment for striking workers. He also vetoed vetoed a bill that would make it easier for farm workers to organize. He vetoed um, OSHA protections for domestic workers. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. and this is a guy who's clearly like he wants to be president, obviously. And so how how does he think he's going to do that by constantly pissing off unions? Uh, here's my take on that. You, you know how divided the country is right now. And the way California is being perceived is la la land. Mm. It's uh, far, far left. So he's trying it, This is kind of the Bill Clinton strategy to kind of go yep. more center and appeal to the moderates because there's a lot of people, you know, this, there's a lot of people in the middle, the, the far right, the far left, it's it's not gonna it, it's not gonna come in a multitude amount of people. The America is pretty much in the middle, and that's what he's trying to appeal to here. I'll tell you one that uh, one uh, person that uh, I got my eye on is Gretchen Whitmer, mm. the uh, governor in Michigan, mm-hmm. and I salute Michigan. Turn it around, right to work. That was great, yeah. and I, I'm I'm hoping. Now we're not a right to work state in the state of Ohio, but. I, I think trying. we got some of that Alabama blood up here. I don't yeah. know, man. It's uh, it's it's definitely turned red. Ohio used to be a bellwether state. It used to be a a purple state, and mm-hmm. it would go it, it would go Democrat, it would go Republican. But right now, we have a supermajority in the House and the Senate, and and gerrymandering is all part of that. Right. And hopefully, that can change. But uh, Michigan, hats off to Michigan. I'll tell you, they did the right thing over there. Yeah, Michigan has really been doing some good stuff. Not only did they reinstitute or, or repeal right to work, they reinstituted prevailing wage, which is another really big thing. Right. Um, Illinois has been doing some good stuff. J.B. Pritzker, I've been impressed with. Um, you know, as far as Democrats go, him and him and Whitmer have been doing some good stuff. So uh, we'll yeah, see. We'll see stuff. what they do. I definitely. Uh, if if there were a primary uh, in 2028 and we have Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, and J.B. Pritzker, I'd be leaning towards the latter two than, than Gavin Newsom right now, <laughs> which is funny because if you listen to the people on the station that we were on during the week, Gavin Newsom is a Marxist, communist, you know, like <laughs> crazy guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I hear. But Yeah. Well, yeah, I, like I said, California has been picked on a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you're hearing stories, too, about people leaving California, going to places like Texas. I don't know how many are like that, but that's the Fox News type of attitude that you're hearing, that they're leaving. They yep. can't stand the cost of living. I mean, granted, the co- price of gas there is ridiculous. I, I think yeah. in some areas it's like $7 a gallon. Mm-hmm. But um and, and, you know, for the life of me, I, there, I, there's a lot of people, I don't know how they're making it. We had uh, Lynn Montgomery on the show. Lynn is a great, she's a great person. She's based in Texas. She heads the, uh, she's the president of the transport workers mm. union for Southwest. And she handles all of Southwest, the whole country. And she would, she told me that there's flight attendants at Southwest in Los Angeles, take home pay $1,600 a month. 
Mm. Okay. In Los Angeles, how do you, and and some of them are living in their cars because of that. But, uh, and it's just, they're just, they're playing hardball. You know, all the big carriers have pretty much settled. Um, um, Delta, Mm -hmm. American Airlines, United, United, I just uh, settled, but Southwest is playing hardball. They're working on their computer system, I think. They don't want another mm. crash like what happened during the holidays yeah. last year. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Ed, Flash, Ference, really appreciate your time. Always enjoy talking to you. Um, America's Workforce, where can they find it? All right. The best advice I can give you, just go to awfpodcast.com. AWF, like America's Workforce, awfpodcast.com. All the shows are archived there. You can see all of our sponsors, and uh, we're we're bringing more in. We're bringing in the uh, the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way next year as well. Ah, so um, that's great. Yeah, we got the Teamsters, we got the UAW, the communication workers, the steel workers. Uh, we want to get them all here. We uh, we appreciate that. Plus, we got the AFL CIO. Yeah, uh, Fred Redman. I'll tell you, there's one guy. I love that guy. He was on the show on Friday. But if you ever get an opportunity and I could help you on that, get him on your show because he's the real deal. He really is the real deal. Great number two man in the um, AFL-CIO. May take oh, you one up more on thing. That. Oh, yeah. Do I, have, do I have a second here? Yeah, absolutely. All okay, the time we that talk- you want. We were talking on Friday. If you go to the AFL-CIO main page, aflcio.org, and you know this, this is the perfect timing for this because – our former president said he was going to go to see workers. You mm. know, we all were under mm. the impression that they were going to be UAW workers. No, they weren't. They were non-union. And he said, and he's often said that he supports the workers. He doesn't, he doesn't support right. the, the union leaders. So you've heard that so many times. So that kind of prompted the AFL-CIO to come up with Trump's record. Mm. And there's a lot of union brothers and sisters that support Trump. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the celebrity. I don't know what it is. That's that's you have to talk to a psychologist about that. <laughs> yeah. The bottom line is the AFL CIO set the record straight on Trump's mm-hmm. record. Go to the website. I download it's like four pages long. There's a lot of crap that this guy has done yeah. over the years. Going <laughs> back so when he was building in New York mm-hmm. and how he went around the unions and oh it was re- and paid off people. It was ridiculous. But uh, union busters on the NLRB, I mean, two of them were clear union busters. Rolling Mm -hmm. back regulations, job protection, safety, OSHA. Check it out. It's really good information, and everybody needs to read that. Okay, I want to leave you on that that note. That's a good note. AFLCIO.org, and it is on their their front page there, press release, Donald Trump's catastrophic and devastating anti-labor track record. The thing that I like to bring up the most when I'm on, you know, I do like a guest spot every week on on, uh, the morning show on this conservative radio station, and and the thing that I like to bring up most about Donald Trump is that he appointed a coal executive to the Mine Safety and Health Administration. That's right. Would you believe it? This coal company executive rolled back a proposed rule that Obama was pushing through to try to protect miners from silica, uh, which is um, responsible for a huge increase in black lung. Um, I, I believe that you've talked to Kim Kelly about her investigations into that. And yep. it's just, you know, I mean, that is responsible. That, uh, you know, probably six year delay in this rule being implemented 
Hundreds of coal mm-hmm. miners have died because of Donald Trump. So, yeah. You know, elections matter. Mm-hmm. Elections matter so much. And it's sad that uh, so many people are consumed by celebrity or they there's just some, some things about certain people that they gravitate toward. But you have to vote in your best interest. Read about the candidate. And it goes beyond the president. It goes in, in all races. Read about the candidate. And, and you know, whatever they – they're going to say a lot of things, let's be honest. Right. Follow what they do. Follow right. the laws that they're behind. You know, actions speak louder than year, than year, than, uh, than uh, whatever. Words, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting all fired up. There you go. Words, words. Actions speak louder than words. <laughs> but I'm getting fired up here because it's just it just ticks me off that that people, uh, uh, I don't know if they're li- – some of them just don't care. They don't understand the political process. They don't follow what uh, a leader – what a person in a power position can do to you as a worker. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, that's the best way to describe this whole thing, but they have to, they have to really kind of delve into that. I know people are busy. They got a lot of, you know, they got kids, they got grandkids. They're, they're working two, three jobs because of the jobs not being union jobs, but you got to pay attention and you got to get the right people in office. And when you get the right people in office, good things happen. There you go. Ed Flash France, America's Workforce Radio from Ohio. Uh, daily, weekday, daily union radio program. Only one in the country. Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. All right. All right, folks. Really enjoy that. Definitely awfpodcast.com. Check it out if you haven't. It's a good listen. Always talking to folks from across the country about what's going on in their unions. Really good stuff. Um, we've got a caller on the line. Let's go ahead and bring him on. I think I know who it is. It is. All right. Give two, me just a sec, and we'll bring up. We've looks got a, like infinite content. Yeah. Two six seven area code. Uh, what is your name? Where are you calling from? Adam and Jacob. It's infinite content. How are y'all? This. Uh, I'm sorry, Ben. It's Ben. I thought. Yeah. I thought I saw. Um. How are y'all doing today, young doing man? Doing good. We played a pre-tape of Adam. That may be what yeah, what confused you. Yeah, yeah that, we, that, we he, he did a he pre-taped an interview for us, so we played that. You all using some trickery and confusion on me. So I'd like <laughs> to just bring up um, a story that came out of Philadelphia, real quick. Uh, someone went and um, stole like 194 cases of crab legs. <laughs> and uh, in Philly, it was like seventy-three thousand. And I would like to know, let everybody know on the Valley Labor Report that Infinite Content had no hand in the Great Crab Lake Heights of Philadelphia. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. We'll, now, I, I when, when people call, there. when people call us asking for it, we'll we'll be sure to tell them that. I I, 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 I didn't have a hand in it. I don't know where to get the crab legs. If I did, I'd be eating some crab cakes right now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, we we talk about so many heavy stories um, on the show. I just figure I start off with a bit of levity. There you go. That's a, um, that sounds good. Now, did y'all hear the up? Did y'all hear the updates on the um, Baton Rouge Brave Cape story? Mm-mm. The Baton Rouge what? The Brave Cave. You know where the cops were uh, taking uh, people and having them up at a black site and abusing them and violating them. Mm-mm. Didn't y'all talk about that like last week or the week before? 
I don't think so. Baton oh, well, to bring up the speed, Baton Rouge had a um, quote-unquote anti-violence unit um, ah. that was, uh, they were, uh, they were, quote-unquote, they were taking people off the street and then uh, taking them to a black site that they had because off the books um, and, like, abusing them, beating them off camera and uh, sexually exposing them. Mm. It got exposed, and there's a few cops that are um, that have resigned. A few cops have been charged. They shut the site down. The uh, the police uh, civilian review board has um, too many union um, proxies on it, so they're blocking the uh, chief's uh, police chief's uh, budget in retaliation. It's a whole mess. Mm. Uh, KBYZ has done some great reporting on it. So if you all have a chance to go, just Google Baton Rouge Brave Cave. And there's a couple of um, civil lawsuits out for um, for civil rights violations. Yeah, I think the only way that you're going to get the get cutting police budgets is not the answer. The only way that you're going to get these police to act properly is to start paying out uh, lawsuits out of the police pension funds. Yeah, I that's think that's definitely that, that is definitely something that I would I would be in support of. And, you know, I mean, just generally, I think that, you know, uh, you got whatever you do with the ultimate budget. You know, I think the number, the dollar amount that the police get, to, seems to me, is like less the issue and more about like how much power do they have over people's lives. I mean, I do think that there would there there would be some benefit gained from reallocating some of the funds that are given to police to oh. like social services and stuff like this. But like, absolutely, the, the, because the you, bottom um, line is, you, the bottom line is, they just feel like they're entitled to servile compliance from anybody that they walk around in front of for no reason. Now, now Adam, um, do you, uh, uh, do, do you, uh, study, I'm sorry, Jacob, do you study military history? No, but or history, I, I, empire, I just wanted to uh, bring up when you overspend on policing slash military, that's usually, um, uh, a key indicator of decline in empire. We're spending way too much on defense and um, and policing. If that money went into public goods. Uh, one, we wouldn't need as many police because we're just preventing the crime, maybe. Yeah. Well, it, well, yeah. It's like you know, a lot of crimes are crimes of desperation. Mm -hmm. uh, like if they aren't violent crimes, like when you see people looting or people shoplifting, uh, a lot of times those are crimes of desperation. They aren't. Um, and the only thing that happens, I remember, did I tell you all about that Alabama approved a one point, uh, over one billion dollar new jail? Yeah, we, yes, we, know, we know all about it. Sadly, I don't. I don't sadly. think you use. I don't think you've talked about it, but but we've seen it. Yeah. The only thing that happens when you open up new jails is that they're going to fill up the jail. And this is not and, to increase our capacity either. This is to maintain, as far as I understand. But I'm like that one billion dollars could have went to uh, building public housing, social services, which would have prevented people from being in jail in the first place. Yep. And 
Uh, oh, but one good thing is that you see that Brett Favre, uh, the the ultimate welfare queen, has um, testified, right? Mm. I have not. We seen aren't going to take our foot up. We're not taking our foot off his uh, neck because that bastard stole welfare funds from the poorest people in the poorest state in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, just to remind people, if they've forgotten, because I'm not going to let, I won't let this one slide at all. He had $5 million of TANF, which is temporary assistance and needy funds, funding from um state of Mississippi, get transferred to University of Southern Mississippi to build a damn volleyball court um, for University mm-hmm. of Southern Mississippi while his daughter was going there. And then he was like, well, we'll probably be able to know um, uh, anything about this. He knew he was doing wrong. That is, a, that's some real grunt. I will keep grinding him up forever in a day, and I will re-resurrect myself to keep grinding him up because you don't do that. You you still from the um, people who need the most, and Mississippi already gatekeeps and like just like damn near ninety percent of the um, town applications that, that people put in. Yep. But they did. Set, Seventy-seven million dollars is the largest. Uh, I mean, is the largest uh, Medicaid fraud case in Mississippi history. It's almost it rivals in my mind what Rick Scott did to Medicare uh, when he was running that uh, fucking company in Florida. Two hundred fifty million dollars um, of defrauding uh, government funds for uh, the rich. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I haven't talked to y'all in a couple weeks, so I'm a little mad. Yeah, no, so, no, a- a- absolutely. I-, I appreciate that. All very but important But I'm going to let you go and, y'all, and let other people get on. Solidarity, brothers. Peace. Thanks. Hey, solidarity. Peace. Thank you for calling in. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. We've got 23 watching. We've got about 40 likes. So people have been liking as they come out. I appreciate that as they come in and out of the stream. Make sure that you like it before you leave the stream today. Um, We got some good, uh, good conversation. Um, David has joined, co-founder of the Valley Labor Report. Uh, appreciate him tuning in. Fran is a badass, indeed. She's been doing some good stuff. She had a really great, uh, great, great speech at the beginning of the strike. So um, definitely uh, would recommend checking that out. Um, so let's uh, another thing about the UAW strike that has been important. And we saw this with the Teamsters at UPS, actually. We saw Amazon workers, you know, being inspired by the things that the Teamsters won at UPS. And now we are seeing non-union auto workers being inspired by what the UAW is poised to win at the big three automakers. This came out in NBC, um, talking, uh, they, the reporter talked to a few non-union auto workers across the South um, and they gave their thoughts, uh, and it's really, really heartening. James Bryant, this is from the article, a vehicle inspector at a Nissan plant in Canton, Mississippi, the one that they lost the election, the union election a few years ago, said he and his colleagues discussed the latest strike developments before work and during their breaks, hoping enough teammates will become galvanized to unionize their own facility. I think they're doing the right thing, Bryant, 51, said of the strikers. If they don't, these companies are just going to keep doing whatever it is they want to do. Um, So really, really cool there. Um, And then Fain 
reiterate, like Fane basically backed up some of these comments that we're seeing, you know, online and from non-union auto workers. Uh, Sean Fane said that, quote, the response from auto workers at non-union company companies has been overwhelming. Hundreds of workers across the country, from the West to the Midwest, and especially the South, are reaching out to join our movement and join the UAW. And that is huge. And that's how society that, that we'll really be able to shift society is by bringing more people into the labor movement and by bringing more bosses and more companies to heal. Um, they've had free, free reign for just way too long. Uh, but the, uh, uh, Bryant at the Nissan plant, he said that a lot of his coworkers, like they just freeze up and get scared at the prospect of unionizing. They mentioned that uh, in 2017, the effort to unionize was soundly defeated. Uh, they were told if we got a union, this is Bryant, the plant was going to close and move to Mexico and all these different things. We tried, we lost, and we just moved forward. And so hopefully they're able to get this back going again and there's going to be a different, and they have a different result. And so that would be a very, very big deal. Um, they all, they quoted a non-union auto worker from Hyundai in Alabama. Uh, Conbralius Thomas said he and some of his colleagues have been trying to get the UAW down to the Hyundai assembly plant in Montgomery, Alabama, where he has worked for 11 years. He criticized the plant's rules around paid time off and said the company hasn't sufficiently boosted pay for taking on new responsibilities. I wish we were in a position where we could strike right now, said Thomas, who added that he has been involved in UAW organizing amid the union's post-scandal restructuring. Um, so really, as Thomas sees it in the South, you have a lot of uh, scared people that don't know much about a union because they've been raised to be against a union. But he said the big three strikes make now a great time for the UAW to ramp up organizing, including at, at non-union plants. The UAW flies under the radar real stealth-like. They do it to the point where it hurts them. If they made more noise, I think it would encourage people. Um, and so I think they're making a lot of noise now, and I'm looking forward to seeing folks like him uh, unionize at their plants. And and this is how, you know, I mean, this is how we make society better for everybody. And this is how unions make society better for everybody, is they inspire other people to win some of the things that they are getting at their own workplaces. And uh, even where they're, the other people are not able to unionize their own facilities, the non-union companies have to compete with these union companies for workers. And so they have to raise their wages as well. And that's why in areas with higher union density, non-union wages are higher. And so, you know, really good stuff that we're seeing. Appreciated that article from NBC shedding a light on some of this stuff from the non-union uh, non auto sector. And uh, you can bet we will be in touch with uh, some folks at the UAW to maybe talk to some of these folks at Hyundai uh, and um and see see what they've got going on down there uh we I've, I've really appreciated the cooperation of the uaw when we were wanting to talk to uh some of those folks at the tuscaloosa zf manufacturing plant who are on strike right now uh they were really cooperative in getting us a guest on um to talk about what they've got going on so uh obviously we'll keep you up to date as we learn more but very exciting stuff uh lot, i mean there's just on all fronts this uaw strike situation very exciting um, we have, uh, we've got this clip that I want to make sure that we play. We do have another caller on the uh, line as well from a 714. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring them on. 
bring on the 714 area code, and then we'll play this clip, and then we'll probably go ahead and wrap up. All right, let me get them up. Caller from 714, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Buenos dias to everybody. My name is Jose Francisco Negrete from uh, Teamster Local 952 and also from Teamster Mobilize. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to the UAW guys. Well, let me start off with this. Out here in Southern California, we seem to be a little hotbed of union activity. We have, you know, several strikes happening at mm-hmm. once. The uh, the Kaiser Permanente, SIUHW, they were holding down some strikes out here and throughout uh, California, I think in uh, Arizona too, Nevada, but I could be wrong, so please don't call me on that. But yeah, we had we had the Kaiser strike. We still got the medieval time strike in Buena Park. They get zero coverage. Hopefully, I could connect you with one of the guys so he could get the message out and get a little bit more eyeballs and a little bit more ears to their show. Yeah, I heard about there. that. Those guys literally take a beating, so they need to be yeah. paid decently. Yeah, <laughs> for t- literally yeah, taking so a beating. They have they have that. We have the medieval times. We have the unite here. The uh, the hotel workers and uh shame on uh the arizona diamondbacks if they do stay at the at the jw marriott mm-hmm. la live because that's one of the places that hold, uh unite here 11 is picketing so hopefully uh they do what inter milan oh, i mean not inter milan excuse me inter miami did is uh they were supposed to stay at one of the hotels that the unite here 11 were uh Ticketing, but then ended up moving to a different hotel, which, which had no affiliation with uh, uh, Unite here, as in concerns to picketing. And to Aunt Eight, with their uh, Aunt Eight is a fulfillment center out there in Moreno Valley. Uh, they're still unionizing over there. You know, Amazon will always. Uh, we have these boss laws, which. You try to unionize, but they never tell you, okay, how many people they have on the payroll, right? And uh, as the, the as the workers, so you're always trying to guess. Oh, you know, do we have thirty or whatever amount? What thirty is to to spark the election in a in a F, in a workplace? But you know, these corporations they they, get, <laughs> they they have the law behind their their side, and we don't. So right. shout out to them, and then shout out to UAW. I've been out there. Several times I went out there with my brother, uh, uh, Will Pena. We went to the UAW, went to the Stellantis one. Local uh, 230, shout out to them. They have some uh, really cool brothers and sisters. I've had several conversations with them. Uh, the times that I've gone, I've gone out there three times. And I've always had, you know, insightful conversations. I learned a lot from just having the conversation and mostly listening to what they have to tell me as somebody trying to understand their plight, trying to understand their struggle. And shout out to local uh, 6645. They're the GM plant. Uh, they're in Rancho Cucamonga, which both sites, well, there's a there's a GM site, the Stellantis site, and the Ford site. And they're all within maybe a 10-mile radius around there from each other. So it's, it's pretty cool. I just, unfortunately, I, I would have hoped that... Uh, President Fain would have struck uh, Ford, but you know he made whatever call he made. He made, but it's it's funny when I went to the Stellantis one two weeks ago with uh, brother uh, Pena, we were talking to them. They were telling us that they extended 
that Stellantis picket line to a cross dock, a cross, a cross dock, excuse me, and uh, towards um, it's on the borderline of uh, the city of Riverside, so it's on the Riverside side. So they extended the picket line there, and they had a scab uh, delivery guy pull out a gun on them, you know, and then to top to top it off. That plan kind of worked, well, not the gun part, but the extending the picket line to the cross truck because that cross truck is shared with Toyota. So because of that, they were able to affect Toyota's operation as well. But because we have these boss laws, Toyota called the sheriffs of Riverside, and they stepped in, and then they eventually, Toyota eventually sent a letter to the union saying, hey, you know, you keep this up, we're gonna to have to, we're gonna, we're gonna sue you, you know, because you can't, you can't affect business, you can't affect commerce in, in the United States, you just can't, you know. You, right. So, you know, sh- sh- shout out to them, you know, they're, all, everybody out here in Southern California, you know, they're holding it down. I, I tried to go to the SEIU one, the Kaiser strike, but I don't, I, I really didn't get their strategy, how they're doing, uh, their picking lines. It seems like they were kind of rotating them. But I'm not exactly sure because I went yesterday because uh, my refrigerator took a dump, so I had to go buy a new one. So I took the evening off from uh, work, and I went over there because my son had basketball practice. So I'm like, I got some time to kill, and I went over there to go, you know, do what we sh- all should be doing is hitting the nearest picket line and showing our solidarity with them, uh, with any worker that's on strike. So I went over there and I didn't, I didn't see nothing. So I didn't, I don't quite understand their, uh, their strategy when it comes to striking, but yeah, we have, we have a lot of cool things. I just, I just, history will tell us if, if when, when it comes to the Teamsters, what kind of president we had, you know, right now it's just, you, know, you have some to think he's, he's militant. Others think that, oh, hold on there. He's not that militant, you know, because now we're seeing what could be possible if a strike happens. How long was was the big three saying no, no? Those EV plants—they're not—they're non-negotiable. They're not no—they're not—they're non-starters. And look how fast GM caved. You know, so I just wish we would have taken that that step to go out on strike. You know, we we never did. You know, the contract was ratified by I think eighty seven percent. It is what it is. <laughs> I have my compl- I have a lot of complaints when it comes to that contract, a lot. But when when it comes to his presidency, time will tell. History will tell what kind of uh, president we had in the Teamsters under Sean O'Brien, and and let and let history write the book. But you know, as a rank and file. As a, as, a, as a rank and file organizer at Teams to Mobilize, my job is, you know, to organize my shop floor, educate my shop floor, but also not just limit myself to my shop floor. Go out there in the community and mm. help in the struggles that the community is struggling. And the UAW, I remember when they, they had a rally there uh, last week. And there were the... The messaging was a very class struggle message because most right. of those people at that at that uh, local uh, 230 uh, Stellantis distribution parts don't live. Most of them don't live in, you know, in the area in, in their city, you know, which in this case is Ontario. They're coming from different places. 
You know, if you can't work, if you can't live in the city you work in, that's a problem. And that's a problem. I, I mean, my cousin were kind of going bad. You know, he's like, oh, you, you want to be a millionaire? I don't want to be a millionaire, man. I, I don't. Because he knows how my stance is. <laughs> he, you know, he knows that I want to end all tears. I want to end, I want to bring the the wage discrepancy within, within in our, because he's a, he works, he's a tractor, dri- tractor trailer driver, my cousin is. There's a big old wage discrepancy still in this contract between uh, feeder guys, RPCD, uh, 22 uh, full-time inside people, uh, what we call combos, and then part-timers. There's still a big old wage discrepancy, right? You know, and then you replace one tier, which was the 22-4, which which you know that was one of our rally cries, but you replace that tier with a two-tier poverty system for part-timers. Because when you, if you get hired in part-time inside UPS, you start off at 21, and then 12 months later, you get your uh, 21.50. So you, every 12 months, you go up 50 cents. And you're not getting the, the, the 75 cents raise we're going to get next year, the following, uh, following year, 75 cents, the dollar, and I think the dollar fifty at the end of the, at the, end of the contract. Those, those new hires, Will will not get that that wage increase. Their wage increase stays at fifty cents. You know. Then we're talking about AI and automation. For the last six years, UPS has been building anything they build when it comes to hubs are all automated hubs. Right. And what uh, Carol Tomei said is they want to look at the customer counters and create it. They I'm sure they have the technology for the AI. They just want to know if it's if it's going to work, if there's going to be any uh, glitches, you know, so they, they're probably going to introduce AI into the customer counters, you know, so we'll, we'll see what history will tell on, on that note, but you know what? I want to know. I just, I just want to say this because I, I, I listened to uh, what you had to say a couple of weeks ago. And as a rank and file, if I decide to run for presidency of, of my, of my union, you know that should that should be that should be my right, and mm-hmm. I shouldn't. No, nobody should be ostracized or laughed at if if they run because that's like Sean Fain said yesterday at towards the end of that uh, uh, UAW uh, update uh, thing he had yesterday that all these corporations think of of workers as just idiots. Like we're just dumb. We have no education. We can't understand concepts. We can't understand theory. We can't think beyond beyond this one point, you know. So it should be rank mm-hmm. and file should should run for for office if they choose to do so, you know. And we shouldn't shouldn't ostracize anybody if if they decide to to pull that weapon because we are capable of running a local. We are capable of of conducting. Uh, a strategic ideological fight against against these uh, ruling class, against these corporations. We are capable. We just sometimes, when you're an incumbent, who has the upper hand? The incumbent will always have the upper hand because they already have the mechanisms in place to to squash anything. But yeah, well, I, no, I mean, and and I saw that, and I saw that comment, and I, I didn't have time to respond to it about, uh, but I was definitely not laughing at the idea of a rank and filer uh, running for 
um, running for office, I was laughing at the fact that uh, that that guy from the Revolutionary Blackout, you know, had zero idea what he was talking about. You know, I mean, clearly he said Will Lehman came close and I listened to another stream and he said it again. I mean, he just says like these people have zero grounding and, you know, what they're talking about. And so it is like it's just it's funny if you think that Will Lehman came close because he didn't like objectively he didn't you know he didn't have a base of support um and he didn't get a lot of votes and uh you know and and I I would say that you know it I would say it probably borders on inappropriate to run for president of the international union when you've got like is that it hasn't he only been working there like three or four years. I mean, like, you know, become a steward, like save somebody's job (laughs) and, you know, uh, do a little bit of that kind of work, Uh, you know. But, you know, I mean, people are well within their right to do whatever they want. And he had, you know, is within his right to run for international president. And he did. And that's fine. Um, I've got a lot of problems with the people that he was a front for. You know, I mean, he it wasn't like he had some organic campaign. He was a front for the World Socialist website. Which is a like anti-union. Um, I have, I have know. my, I have my, I have my problems with uh, WSWS. I have. I mean, they told have, people in se- my state several, in Alabama I have to several, vote. I have several issues with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think there, there, there is. I think there is a place for them. But you know, like there is a, like there's a place for, for TVLR. There's a place for uh, the Rick Smith show. There's a place for all of this because. We're in labor, and the the most fundamental thing for us is democracy. Because you see, we've seen it throughout history. All these business unionists and these top down structures just try to kill any any movement towards democracy. I have my issues with TDU. I have a lot of issues mm-hmm. with TDU. But back in the day, they had to go through a bunch of stuff, right, just to bring more democracy in inside the union. Because why? Democracy is no ally to anybody in positions of power. Because once you start stripping away that power and, and and giving it to the workers, you know, now you now the workers have more power. You know, that's why and and some of these bylaws that we have in in the Teamsters, they're undemocratic. You know, mm-hmm. the principal officers have so much power. They could fire uh fire uh stewards whenever they want. Just because the steward has questions or doesn't doesn't follow what a steward does a thing the best thing for for the for the membership they they might just like they might have asked a lot of questions they might have some they might cause some blowback with whoever's in power but you have these bylaws that they have there's no protection for for stewards mm-hmm. and then how we we only know if they get a raise through the l m two you know why can't we why can't you have a uh, wording in the bylaws that say, look, at the at the general membership meeting, we're going to say how much we're going to give a race to, you know, for, you know, for the business agents, for the executive board, for the staff, whatever. Right. And then at the next meeting, let the membership decide if you're doing a good job, the membership's not going to mm-hmm. have a problem with it. But right. if you ain't doing a good job, then, the, then you know, you're going to have a lot of members go be like, hey, wait, wait, wait. Whatever you're mm-hmm. selling is not what I'm seeing out here. I'm not seeing my business agent right. as much as you guys are saying that I we're they're coming around the barn, you know. So mm-hmm. we these bylaws 
they need to be they need to be democratized you know and then regardless of to me regardless if you've been there three years now should you know the lay of the land when it comes to your union yeah yeah you should because once you understand the lay of the land then you want to you, you know you you want to change it and only mm-hmm. for the betterment it's only for the betterment of uh of of the membership and then because once you have a, a more stronger union we could go out in these fights we still have amazon out there and i don't right. know what's happening with amazon you know i just see extended picket lines which is good because you're disrupting commerce but are we going inside i would do what do we know about these rotation centers? How many members are in there? Are they willing to organize? Right. You know, are they ready to organize? Are they ready to take the next step? And then are you going to be honest with them? Tell them, look, if you do organize, you're going to get fired. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way around it. You're going to get fired. But we, ha- we have things in place to help you. What are we doing? I don't understand. You know, it's not if they're, if we're, we're finding out if they're calling for a national conference, I think we, we had a national, we had a conference in Vegas in April when it came to Amazon, but it was during the middle of the week, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I, I work as an instructional assistant in my morning job. So I right. get time off is, is virtually impossible. <laughs> you know, they, they put up a fight when, when, when Pete comes around at UPS, <laughs> but we needed, I just wish, there's more of an open dialogue when it comes to Amazon. Mm-hmm. And we, we just, I could see the democratization in, in places. I see the UAW guys. And when I talk to them, there's, there's a sense of pride that's been in that, that they, that they reconnected with because they're all fighting, you know, they're all, and they're all, you know, they're on strike. They're only getting 500 bucks a week. So it's not mm-hmm. if they're, you know, that's a fraction of their paycheck, but they, they understand their strike discipline. Right. You know, we were never given, I wish the teamsters, UPS teamsters were given a chance to be strike discipline. But all I heard was you don't have a mortgage to pay. You don't have this, you mm-hmm. don't have that, but you, 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 you knew, or you should have known that, a, a strike is would be, would have been possible a year from a year before the strike. Right. And I was telling the guys at, at my hub, like, hey, the part timers, like, hey, and my ship, like, hey, you need to be strike. Well, you need to start saving as as much as you can. You can save five here, twenty there, whatever you can, just in case. You know. But we, I don't think we were strike ready. We still have, we still have apathy. <laughs> and then mm. some of these, and some of these, I'm not going to say the other term, but some of these uh, position holders that we have in in our in the union you know just they they want to keep the the membership then the rank and file apathetic and, mm-hmm. and just in the self-interest kind of mode it's like no it's it, it doesn't i don't need it to affect me so i'm voting no you know I, or or yes or whatever it may be you know i still my faith is in democracy my faith is still in the it's always going to be in the rank and file that's why tomorrow we're gonna go visit the UAW guys again. I love having conversations with them. They found the bench. They have the they call it the solidarity bench, and you know you write down your your local. It's it's pretty cool, and and they're very, 
very friendly when I go over there. They, they've always been a class act, you know, so as well as the medieval times, I still haven't hit the Unite Here 11 strike line. I, I, I got to do that, you know. Oh, they still have the sag after uh, on strike too. So mm-hmm. it's it, like Drake said, what a time to be alive. But I always yep. thank you for giving me a platform to to talk. We, we might not see eye to eye, but yeah, you know what? That's okay because our hearts are in the right place. Our hearts are for the for the working class. It's to for the betterment of them. Yeah. And as long as we keep that in 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 our hearts and in our vision, any disagreement. Hey, it's just agreement. There's water under the bridge, so we we know what we need to move on to, and we have a greater enemy in our midst, and that's and that's the ruling class, that's these corporations, that's these sellout politicians, and 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 both sides of the duopoly, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Appreciate the call, Jose. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias. Yep. Thanks for calling. Yep. I. Uh... I, I agree with a lot a lot of that that uh you know I mean there are some things that we disagree on I you know I like I said I I like I've said before I prefer to make wide latitude for disagreement you know within the within the labor movement I want to be comradely about disagreements and I'm happy to be comradely with disagreements you know even with people or not I mean not even Jose and I are not that far apart on most issues but I I would draw a line at the World Socialist website I think that they are they're a different beast I think that it's uh, I, I think that when you start talking about people should you know, revoke their union or, you know, should resign from their union. People should vote no in an Amazon union election with RWDSU. Um, you know, when you're like slandering people uh, <laughs> who are, you know, who work, f- who work for unions or who, you know, are rank and file, you know, working. I'm a bargaining unit employee at my job and they've, gone on talking about me being a union bureaucrat and implying that I make a lot of money from the union and I don't make any money from the union. I'm almost never, in fact, reimbursed for lost wages when I, <laughs> when I do union work. Um, so, you know, they, yeah, I think they're a different beast, but, you know, happy to agree to disagree about them, but not with them. I do not consider them part of the same movement. I'm happy to agree to disagree with people who do, but uh, I have a different opinion. I have a much different opinion to them. <laughs> All right, so mm-hmm. let's let's wrap up with this clip here about this billionaire guy. And so, you know, one of the things that and and this is, you know, Flash was talking about the um, w- something that the rich will try to do to divide us. You know, they'll try to divide working folks who make a little bit more money from working folks who make a little bit less money. And so part of that is they just try to do this, this envy thing, you know, and so look at them. They've got a little bit more money than you, but don't look at me. You know, I've got like hundreds of times time. more than you. Right. <laughs> so look at them. Don't look at me. Um, and this inflation conversation is another, is another part of that because inflation has been on people's minds in particular in the last two or three years because of how high it's gotten 10, you know, at one point, I think it got up to like 12%. Some people think that the estimates are even low. And so it got up to, I mean, at least 10% at one point. And that is huge. You're talking about 10%. If you're not getting a raise, that's a 10% pay cut. You know, people notice a 10% pay cut. That's a big deal. And so using the specter of inflation and just kind of common sense understanding of how things work, 
they're trying to fearmonger people about the UAW. They're trying to make you think, oh, if the UAW gets what they want, your cars are going to be more expensive. And look at how expensive they are already. So therefore, you should fight against the UAW instead of the companies. You should be on the side of the companies, actually, against the UAW. Ignore my bags of money. Endor yeah, turn, ignore all my bags of money. Look at the UAW workers. Unless who, you're a shareholder, maybe, then I'm going to tell yeah, you, brag you about my bags exactly. of money. Um, so that's what they're trying to do, and that's what this billionaire did in this clip. Let's play that. All right, here we go. The UAW is on strike. They're asking for 40% of wage increases. The unions, it's funny because the Democrats, what's wrong with the Biden administration? Why is he so unpopular? It's inflation. That's what people say. It's the economy, dummy. It's the economy. People are, have less in their pocket. But now he's backing the unions who are forcing wages up, which is creating the inflation he has to kill. The UAW. Yeah. Wages so, too high. Wages too high. Yeah. Actually, uh, there has been analysis on inflation to now. That has shown that it very much has not gone to increased workers' wages. That's just factually inaccurate. Most of it has gone 50% of the increase in cost of goods. 50% has gone just to shareholders, just to profits. So the other 50% has gone to things that have legitimately increased the price, like um, supply chain issues or paying people more, but the paying people more is only like 20% of, uh, of the whole thing. And so in that 50%, a lot of it is rising material costs and supply chain issues, but a whole half of it, 50% has just gone to increased profits and into shareholders pockets. And uh, so the idea that workers' wages have contributed to the inflation that we've seen or will contribute to inflation in the future is just no bearing in reality. And <clears throat> I wanted to play that clip because I saw something after that clip that was just really baffling to me. Um, it was an analysis by an unlikely ally <laughs> saying that, no, this is really fucking stupid what you're saying. Uh, and and the, the, uh, the people who said that is Goldman Sachs. <laughs> so, wild, wild. So if Goldman Sachs is coming and saying, okay, look, you know, I mean, the workers there, I mean, it's, it's called fine. Goldman Sachs, guys. Yeah, it's like, they're fine. They can, <laughs> they can have a little bit of money. It's not really going to affect anything. It's not a big deal. They get 40% raises. Not a big deal. Quote from the white paper that they released. Those big wage hikes the unions are demanding and some are getting are unlikely to set inflation soaring again. So, yeah, just to just slaps down that notion that, oh, yeah, it's workers that are causing inflation instead of the people who are setting the prices. Workers don't set the prices. Bosses set the prices. And the people who are taking 50% of that and just stuffing it in their pocket, not for doing anything, not for laboring any harder, just for owning. It's always some broke dude's fault. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Why are you a poor? random broke guy. Why are you poor? It's because of this other poor person and maybe an immigrant. That's why you're poor. So don't fall for it, folks. It's a bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. All right, that's going to be it for us today. TVLR.fm slash donate if you want to make a one-time or monthly uh, recurring contribution to the show. TVLR.fm slash store. Get that store. new shirt. Get that if new shirt. If you want to get the new shirt. 
And uh, Adam is going to be talking to y'all on Thursday morning with a new episode of Shop Talk. And I will see you again next week. See y'all then.